Thank you, Howard. Thank you all very much. Um, I grew up in a house where we, we love the attention we get on our birthday, but we hate the idea that we're getting older. Um, who in here is sort of in a connection group? Which means you can kind of claim it even if you all don't meet. Okay, some of you sort of are. Now, who in here are really in a connection group where you all are really kind of connected? Okay, about one out of four who are sort of in one. Um, Here's something we're going to do to invigorate those who want to be in a connection group. Danny Way, where's Danny? Danny's standing up back there. And by the way, if you don't have a lesson, if you'll raise your hand, uh, Jeff Bagwell there on the left will walk down the aisle and, and, and give you one. Uh, um, so raise your hand. We do need some lessons down here, please, Jeff uh, uh, Bagwell. Um, you know, he looks a lot different on TV. <laughs> No, no, I just, just think you look, you look better in person. What can I say? Danny Way is back there. Um, uh, we've got a, a, a wonderful blessing this year. We, uh, 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 my, my law firm is, has uh, gotten stuck with having uh, to buy an entire suite for the Houston Rockets season. And so this year we've got a suite that will seat 12. And uh, what we've decided to do is every connection group that would like to, working through Danny for scheduling purposes, will have the suite for a night during the basketball season. And so it comes with food, it comes with fun, it comes with fellowship, and uh, 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 unlike many of the things that you have to pay for, because we just don't have a choice like the Christmas party and things like that, this one, it doesn't cost to be in a connection group. It won't cost to go to the ball game. So if you are not in a connection group and you'd like a free basketball game, <laughs> then you need to get in a connection group. If you are in a connection group, uh, 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 either way, see Danny back there and be motivated. All right, point number... Oh, my. Point number two. <laughs> I am very offended at the way the Longhorns ran the score up on my Red Raiders yesterday. And all I can say is wait till... Well, no, actually, they'll probably win again next year. Wait, wait for about five or ten years and we will get even. Um, point number two, before I got distracted... Um, Ah, we took a vote two weeks ago on where we go from class uh, when we finish this. I expect we will finish the, the, the biblical literacy class by about the end of the year. Um, we don't have much left. I'm going to finish 1 Peter, God willing, today. Charles did 2 Peter last week. I haven't listened to the tape to see if he covered it well enough. If he did, we'll leave it alone. If he didn't, we'll, we'll clean up a little bit. Um, no, I'm sure he did a great job. That leaves us with um, uh, first, second, and third John. Now, second and third John are not big enough to spit on. I mean, they're just really small. First John is about five chapters or so, and it'll take us maybe one or two weeks. I haven't figured out how I'm going to do it yet. Then we have the book of Jude, which is a one-chapter book, and then we have Revelation. And again, for those of you who've been waiting to hear about Revelation unfolded, let me first tell you, uh, come on. 
Let me second tell you uh, that, remember, this is biblical literacy, not uh, uh, an exhaustive study of, of apocalyptic literature in the book of Revelation. Uh, having said that, uh, it is something I'm excited to teach, and, and so uh, uh, come uh, ready for that. But that basically gets us through the year. So we've been scratching our heads. Where do we go from here? We handed out ballots. We had four different options. Option one was we start all over again with biblical literacy. By the way, looking out, I see our county judge, Robert Eccles. And I want to tell you something. In the midst of everybody who's done everything all over this country to help disaster relief and hurricane awareness and hurricane relief, there is no greater example in my mind than our county judge, Bob Eccles, and what you've done. And I want to say thank you. I have had um, people who have no idea I know Judge Eccles through church. I've had people from all over the country who have seen him on TV who have come up to me and said, well, if Texas wants to put out a politician for national level, why don't they put out that Eccles fella? Because he's great, and we'd vote for him. And these are people who have no knowledge that I know him. And, and it's just... It, 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 it's a great source of uh, pride and joy for me to see uh, uh, people taking their Christian talents to their jobs wherever they may be uh, and using them in such a compassionate and loving and caring and yet stewardship way. And uh, I just saw him and threw that out there. Anyway, we had four options. Option one was we start biblical literacy all over again. Option two was church history literacy which basically means we pick up where the Bible ends and work our way to Champion Forest Baptist Church and try to figure out who were the leading figures in Christianity and, and how did Christianity develop after the Bible and, and, and where did all of our different churches come from and try to do it within a framework of this still being Bible study. So how is it the Bible was at issue in these church divisions and in this process? Um, um, how did we get the Bible? How did the New Testament get put together? And, 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 and just walk through that. That was choice number two. Choice number three was theological literacy. What is it we need to know about theology? You know, about the Trinity. About how God could come in Jesus in the incarnation. How could Jesus be fully God and yet fully human? You know, what, what does it mean to be saved? What does it mean to be born again? What, what is the afterlife? What is, you know, and... and focus on basic theology. <clears throat> Option four <clears throat> was to take one book out of the Bible and either Old or New Testament and really zoom in on it with very deliberate good focus. We put it out and we tallied the votes. And um, uh, there was one of the four choices that beat everything else by a two-to-one margin. And that was church history literacy. Okay? Now, the other three were very close to each other, within four votes for each of the three. And so what I've decided to try and do is church history literacy with a twist. Okay? We're going to do sort of church history with the history of theology built in. So we cover theology. Because much of church history, churches did not just divide because people thought, you know, Oh, gee, at the Sunday social, her cooking stinks. So 
we need to split our church and we need to go over here where they make better baklava, okay? That didn't really happen. That's not the source of the split between the Eastern Orthodox and the Roman Catholic Church, baklava. Um, the, the church split over doctrinal issues each time, by and large. So a church history look fairly can look at theology itself. Um, some of the first splits in the church happened over the issue of the Trinity. Um, 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 you know, so, so we can focus in on that. So it'll be kind of both of those. And built into that, to make sure it's biblically based, we will do some in-depth Bible study to compare what the Bible says with what was going on in the church. So we kind of hit three of them. And as for starting this class over again, instead what we're going to try and do is get our handouts in good shape where we can provide everybody with the class. So <clears throat> that's the goal. Now having said that, this will be the hardest thing I've ever taught. I've been teaching in church um, for over 20 years, 25 years, and um, uh, this is going to be real difficult. So I reserve the right after about three or four weeks to say, this stinks, I don't like it, and I can't do it. <laughs> in, in which, so, so you might want to come for the beginning because it may not last long. <laughs> but I have started outlining it, and I have uh, 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 gotten out my old uh, 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 books and papers on it, and uh, uh, I am kind of excited about it. I think it'll be a real kick to teach. So um, I do hope as we start next year, we'll start together. First Peter, part two. Um, uh, let's get back into 1 Peter. This is the best picture I have ever found for biblical literacy. You see, we're talking about a letter from Peter. What better than to go to the Vatican and to find a stamp with Peter's picture on it? See, that's a letter, Peter. It's all rolled in together in a picture. <laughs> 25 cents. Um, um, this is Peter. This is Vatican Air Post. Uh, posta area is, uh, this is like uh, airmail from the Vaticana. And you know it's Peter because he's got the key and they say it's Peter. So that is, I mean, I was just overjoyed. I thought the class has really peaked now. It's downhill from here. We found a postage stamp to talk about the letter from Peter. Um, this is the first of two letters from Peter. It is a letter that was written probably from Rome. Peter identifies himself as, as sending greetings from the lady of, uh, of Babylon. And he certainly wasn't in Babylon when he wrote it. But Babylon was a common first century name for Rome itself. And it's written to a number of areas of uh, churches in what we would consider modern Turkey. Uh, up in the northern part and the eastern part of Turkey. Peter wrote this with the help of Silvanus. He wrote it emphasizing Christian holiness and the way we react to suffering. Um, Christian holiness and the way we react to suffering. We talked about the first chapter and the first ten verses of the second chapter when I started this two weeks ago. Now we pick up with a, a, a section that we are classifying here as the conduct of the saved. Now if you are saved... This applies to you. If you are not saved, then this is stuff you're missing. Okay? So get saved. Now, <clears throat> the conduct of the saved. You with me? Okay, let's start. Peter says, if you are saved... That's pretty good, actually. I worked hard on that one. 
Peter says, if you are saved, you are an alien in the sinful world. This world is not your home. All that the world has to offer and all that the world does, it's not, it's, you're no longer part of this world. This is not your home. You're an alien. Um, if you got into Jesus music in the late 60s, early 70s, there was a fella named Larry Norman. Had just the prettiest long blonde hair you've ever seen. It's down about right here. Um, and he sang this song, He's an Unidentified Flying Object Coming Back to Take Us Home. He's an unidentified flying object and he will roll away your stone. Now, I'm not saying it was good music and I'm not saying it was good lyrics, but it actually fits in pretty good. The idea being, we don't live here anymore. We live here. This is not our abode. This is not home for us. We live in a distant land. We live in a promised land. We live in a land that we're not in right now. This world is not my home. I'm just a passing through, the old hymn goes. Remember that one? My treasures are laid up somewhere beyond the blue. And that's the way Peter starts out. He says, you're an alien here. If you feel out of place with the people of this world, don't be surprised. You're an alien here. Not only are you an alien, but the world is under sin and that sin wages war with us. See, this is a sinful world. And if you just don't feel like the world's what you want it to be, one of my daughters explained to me yesterday, the world stinks. <laughs> I said, is this permanent? Or, well, she said, I should wasn't sure, but it was definite for the last week. And if you feel that the world stinks and things don't work out for you the way you want them to work out for you, or the way you know God would like them to work out for you, don't be surprised. Because this is a world under sin that's at war with us because we're aliens. We don't belong here. This is not where we are. The world wages war with us in at least two ways that, that, that I would like to emphasize. Internally, as you struggle with sin, as you do that thing where the things you want to do, you don't do. And you find yourself doing things you don't want to be doing. That struggle, that fight that bothers you is the world at war with you. But it's not just internally, it's externally. There are forces outside of our own hearts and minds that wage war with us. As we struggle to try and find peace in the midst of a land that knows no peace. As we struggle to, to make ends meet when everything seems to work against us. Don't you wish it was as easy to make money as it is to spend money? Have you ever noticed that one is easier than the other? It's a whole lot easier to spend it than it is to make it. Don't you wish it was as easy to get along with people as it is to have friction. Don't you wish it was as easy to... to you, see, you see, this is what Peter is saying. So Peter is setting this up. And he sets it up saying that the world's sin wages war with us. We're aliens. Now, 
He takes it the next step. If we're aliens and the world's sin is waging war with us, what do we do? He says, we live pure. Okay? Now, this is, this is, do you remember the Bill Murray movie, Baby Steps? Or what, what about Bob? It was What About Bob, wasn't it? And uh, it's got like Richard Dreyfuss in it. And Richard Dreyfuss has written this book and Bill Murray's the real neurotic guy. And the book's called Baby Steps. And the goal is you, you, you can't get from here to the piano in one leap. You just take baby steps. You may not be able to go far, but you just keep moving. Little baby steps, ba little bit by little bit. Okay? Now, I'm asking, uh, I'm asking, Peter's asking the question, and I'm asking the question, how do we get along with this world waging war against us? And it may be the distance between us and the piano. It's how do we get to the piano? My answer may just seem to be a little one-step answer that doesn't get us there, but if you hang on, it will get you there. Okay? So the answer starts out with, how do you handle these crises? How do you handle the suffering? How do you handle the war internally, externally? Number one, you live pure. You live pure. Peter says, if you live pure, then some of, bless you, some of the pressure you're getting from outside where pagans abuse you and accuse you of wrong, they will see your good deeds anyway and glorify God. Now let me pause for a minute and explain one of the problems the New Testament church had. We'll see it in great detail as we go through church history literacy. Okay? Because it's written up profoundly in the first several hundred years of the church. There was great persecution for the church from pagans who accused the church of doing all kinds of outlandish things. They said the church had these private, quote, love feasts, close quote, where they eat flesh and drink blood. Okay? The, the church was persecuted by the intelligentsia, the intellectuals, the, the smart people in the first couple of centuries as being absolute dimwit idiots. Okay? The church, you're absolute dimwit idiots if you're Christians because you say there is one God and then you tell us He's two or three different people. The church can't do math. These idiots think there's only one God, but He's three different guys. Three is not one. And this type of abuse was heaped and heaped and heaped on the church. And this is what brought some of the... This is why people had no trouble just ripping into Christians. Well, he's an idiot anyway. He's an imbecile. He can't do basic math. You know, he's a cannibal. He goes... They have these little Sunday private parties no one's invited to where they're eating people and drinking blood. And this mentality, Peter says... When you get that kind of oppression, pagans accuse you of wrong, but if you're just living pure, they're going to see your good deeds. They're going to see your actions. They're going to see what you do. People see what Robert Eccles does on the, on, 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 when, when he is in a position where he's got to do something. They see what you do, and they can glorify God if you're doing right. And so that's what he says. He says, live pure. Now, he doesn't just say live pure, but he also says, submit to the king. Now, think about that for a moment. Submit to the king. I'm sorry, wrong king. 
Um, there. Submit to the king. He says, don't submit to the king because the king is something special. You submit to the king for the Lord's sake. Because the Lord's telling you to submit to the king. You live in submission to the king and it's God's will that by doing good you silence the ignorant talk of foolish men. What happens to the church, and we'll see this in church history literacy. See, I'm starting to now get you all a little juiced for it. What happens is really incredible. And you've got to remember, Jesus dies on the cross, and his best friend Peter, or one of his best friends, is denying him. He's got his mom there, John the Apostle's there, and that's about it. All alone on Calvary between two thieves. But I'm telling you, if you fast forward just a couple of hundred years, the church has basically conquered the Roman Empire. By the time you hit the early 300s, 312, Constantine the emperor declares basically Christianity the state religion. Not because he's a Christian, but because he needs the powerful force that's represented by that many Christians. And the way they do it is by living pure. This is one of those concepts that walks hand in hand with the sermon this morning. The sermon was to live or walk in the fear of the Lord. It's the same concept as living purely. In fact, Peter will say at one point, you do it out of fear of the Lord. It's a hand in hand concept. But you live pure. You submit to the authority of the king. Now, I struggled with this growing up. I struggled with this in a very practical way. I want to live under the authority of our state because that's one of the authorities. It's not because they are some great, wonderful thing, but it's just the way it is. Well, our state tells me I'm not supposed to drive over 55 miles an hour. As a Christian, and I, 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 it was Debbie Shreve who told me this, and I just thought, amen. She said, I'm never going to put a Christian bumper sticker on my car. I do not want to dishonor the Lord that way because I do not drive like I should all the time, usually. Um, and you think, well, you know, this is, and this was honestly one of my struggles. And, and, and at times it still is. I mean, what do you do on these kinds of things? Do I have an answer for you? Uh, yeah, it's uh, honor the king. It's God's will by doing good you should silence the ignorant talk of foolish men. So you live pure. You submit to the king. Slaves submit to masters. Um, this is a wonderful passage that loses so much of its context today because we live in, a, in an America where slavery was an abominable institution that, that leaves a distaste in all of our mouths. Okay? And so it's hard to ever find, and, and, and the sad part is, is some people in the guise of Christianity used scriptures like this to justify American slavery, which is just reprehensible. And so I want to be very delicate as we talk about what this scripture means. I love the way the preacher this morning referenced it, because I don't know how many of you caught it, but he referenced one of these passages. In fact, he referenced it out of Ephesians. And he talked about it as the economic market. Because the economic market back in Roman times was by and large slaves and masters. 
Today, it's employers and employees, which to some of us may seem like the same thing depending on where you work. <laughs> but slaves and masters is talking about an economic relationship as well as a social relationship. And the economic relationship is one that says you respect the people you work for. If they treat you fairly, wonderful. If they treat you unfairly and you get a bad review at work, if it's because you gave bad work, you can't go blaming them for giving you the bad review. You earned it. But if you do good and they still review you unfairly or abuse you harshly, then just know that this is a world at war with you and Christ was abused as well and Christ was treated unfairly and don't be shocked and don't be surprised and accept it. Now this is not a direct statement to you that if you're in a work situation where your job is abusive and your work stinks that you should just smile and keep right on going. This is one where you treat, saying that, that you treat with respect those people who are over you in authority. You don't backbite. You're not a backstabber. You're not a, a gossiper. You're not a slanderer. You're not untrustworthy. And if you work in a job where you cannot be a Christian the way you ought to be a Christian, then it's time to change jobs. Because where you are and what you are in the marketplace is a statement about God and Jesus Christ. And it's a statement about how seriously we take our faith. Is our faith something we put on for convenience? Or is our faith something we truly deep in our hearts believe out of conviction? If we are treated unfairly, we're walking the path of Christ. So live pure. Submit to the king. Slaves, submit to masters. Live pure. Wives, submit to husbands. Wives, submit to husbands. Now listen to how he says it. He says purity. A wife being pure. A wife with reverence to God. You don't have to worship your husband. Don't. A wife with reverence to God. A wife with a gentle and quiet spirit beats any makeover. You can go do the makeover. You can sit in the beauty parlor for 30 solid hours. You can have facials upon facials upon facials. Your fingernails and toenails can be painted the most outstanding and alluring color there is with not area cuticle out of place. You can have the spiffiest clothes, the most incredible adornments in your hair, and there's not a husband on the planet that ultimately wouldn't rather have you pure with a gentleness that you bring to the relationship. One of the things I want my daughters to learn in my house before they grow up and they get married to, to men, I want them to develop a gentle spirit. Not just a gentle spirit when things are going their way. That's easy gentleness. I want them to develop a gentle spirit that is, 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 is the characteristic trait regardless of how things are going. That's the kind of thing Peter says that can win your husband over to Christ without you even having to preach to him. Wives need to cultivate 
a, a, a gentleness and a purity uh, and, and a reverence to God, and it needs to pervade who they are. Now, husbands, they're to treat their wives with respect. In the same way, they're to honor their wives. Peter says that the wives are the weaker sex. Some churches, you're not allowed to use that verse. Okay? But it's not an offensive thing for Peter to say. Peter doesn't mean that the wives are in any manner inferior. Some scholars say Peter's talking about whether or not they can win the arm wrestling thing. Okay? Well, it depends on who the wife is and who the husband is. I mean, I'm sure Michelle can take Lewis out. <laughs> so what, what does it mean for women to be the weaker sex? Peter's making a matter-of-fact statement about women at his time and in his place. Women were weaker at the time in terms of worldview. Uh, uh, the world did not esteem them as highly. The world did not accord them the rights of men. They were not uh, as strong and powerful in the world as men. They were, in that sense, the weaker sex. But the interesting point that Peter makes is, you don't treat them like the weaker sex just because they are in the world's eyes. The reason you don't is because in God's eyes, they're not. See, Peter says in God's eyes, they may be weaker on earth, but they're not weaker before God. They are joint heirs. They're there shoulder to shoulder with the men. So husbands need to treat their wives with respect. Even if the world doesn't, husbands need to. So you live pure. You live pure in front of the king. You live pure in front of... Uh, of your employers in the economic marketplace. You live pure wives with their husbands and husbands with their wives. And then finally he says, live pure in harmony together, the way you treat each other. Let the way you treat each other show it. Sympathize when someone's hurt or wounded or has a problem. Sympathize the way you would if it were a member of your family. If you've got someone in here, and a, a man came up to me last night and he said, I'd like you to pray for me. Or actually pray for my son. And I said, what's going on? He said, my son is, uh, I think he's in trouble. I said, well, what do you mean? He said, well, my son is, uh, uh, I think he's making methamphetamines. And I said, uh, yeah, that's, that's bad. <laughs> um, I said, has he been caught? He said, no, I don't think he's been caught yet. I said, do you have a relationship with him? He said, not really much because I won't uh, support him in that and I won't help him. I said, how old is he? He's 42. I said, does he have a wife? Does he have a family? He said, no, he blew that already. But he's got a wonderful 15-year-old that I'm real close to. I said, well, where is he? He said, I don't know. I can't find him. He's, he's disappeared. Would you pray for us? And we stopped where we were and we said a prayer. Not because, I hope not because he came and asked me to. Well, all right, if we can do it in 30 seconds. I mean, my heart goes out to him. My heart goes out to him. We sympathize with each other like family does. That's, that's what this is about. We're aliens. We don't live like the world. We, and we're, we're an alien family. Okay? Not only that, but we take care of people with compassion 
and humility. We take care of people. There's a guy in this class. Emails me. Says, hey, I drive down the road. And I see this guy, for the last couple years, I've been buying newspapers from him. And uh, lately, I've noticed, and I, and I visit with him. I took him out to lunch one time. And he's kind of a vagabond fellow. But I noticed he's lost his fake eye. He had a fake eye. And it, he, he's just going without. Do you know anybody who's involved in fake eyes? Or maybe we could get one. Or do something to help this guy out. I said, I don't. Well, we got a guy in class who's a pretty sharp guy who's a doctor who knows a lot of this stuff. Let's plug him in. Long story short, it looks like this guy's going to wind up getting an eye. I don't know if, if the fellow in our class who's sensitive to this is going to have to pay the economics of it or if it's going to be Medicare or Medicaid, I guess. I, I don't know how all of that winds up working out, but I'm touched by the compassion and the care that's being shown there because that's what it's all about. That's what it's about. Respond to wrongs with blessing. Who's ever been wronged before? Wow, some of y'all are asleep. Um, <clears throat> who's been wronged within the last week? Who has been wronged with yesterday? Oh, hey. <laughs> Respond to wrong with blessing. You respond wrong with blessing. I've been wronged. Okay? I know I've been wronged. I can smell wrong when it happens to me, and I got the whiff right now. I'm going to make a decision right now that I'm going to respond to this wrong with blessing. Maybe it's just under my breath. Lord, bless. And you don't want to do it like Fiddler on the Roof. Remember that? Rabbi, is there a blessing for everyone? Well, of course there is. Is there a blessing for the Tsar? Yes, there's a blessing for the Tsar. What's the blessing for the Tsar? May God bless and keep the Tsar far away from us. <laughs> That's not the kind of blessing I'm talking about. I'm talking about make a deliberate decision. You got something right now in your brain where you've been wronged. I'm not asking you to get in front of them so they can wrong you again. But I'm asking you to at least make a mental decision right now and in your spirit, in your heart, in your mind, say, Lord, bless them. I don't want to. I don't really want you to. I'd much rather you do that vengeance is mine, saith the Lord part, where you like smoke them. But I need this for me. I want to live pure. And so, Lord, bless them. Okay? <laughs> Talk peace and live peace. Peter says, Talk peace and live peace. Now, think about this. We, we understand this. Do you see? This, this is not because we're just going to be nutballs. He said we're aliens, not nutballs. Okay? There is a coherent reason for this. 
The reason we cannot just talk peacefully, but live peacefully, even when people sin, even when they sin against us, is because we understand. We know what it's about. We know that there really is a God who really made a world, who really put people in it to live in fellowship with Him, and we know that people fell, and people live in sin, and the sins all around us. And some of it's genetic, and some of it's environmental, and some of it's free choice. But we got sinful people all around us, and such were we until God came and said, I forgive your sins, and brought us into a new life. And now when we sin, it's, it's just part of the old nature that hasn't been abolished yet. It's not what we take into eternity. And we understand that, and so when people sin against us, we of all people understand what sin is. And we of all people understand God has made peace with us at great cost to Himself in spite of our sin. How dare we who call Him Lord and say we want to be like Him treat anybody any differently. And when people sin against us, we talk peace and we live peace. Blessed are the peacemakers because they will be called sons of God because God is a God of peace. All right, now how can we do this? That's the conduct. What is the confidence we have behind this? Okay, what is the confidence? Why can the Christian live with confidence this life Peter set out, this life as an alien? Why can the Christian live with confidence a life of submission to authority, whether it's the king or whether it's to your boss or whether it's, it's a, a, a mutually uh, dependent, submissive relationship of respect and appreciation. Why can the Christian with confidence live in harmony with each other? In one word, Jesus. We live that way because we know the blessings that we have in Jesus. Think about it. We know what Jesus has done for us. And we know how Jesus takes care of us. And that's what allows us to live differently. You know, if, if the big question, the big question that people can come to you and ask is this, why do you have hope? in the face of despair. When I was growing up as a kid, I was, I was active. We had a wonderful youth group at the church I went uh, to growing up, Broadway Church of Christ. It was a great youth group. And uh, one of the things that we were constantly being told is how to evangelize, how to go out and tell people about the gospel. And I got to tell you, I get real uncomfortable doing that. Okay, I'm just, different people have different gifts. I'm not good at walking up to someone and just saying, did you know that Jesus Christ died for you? I took courses in it because I wanted to be better. I learned that that's not what you go up and say. Instead, you go up and say, if you died tonight, would you go to heaven? And I wasn't any better at doing that either. And then I got across this book called Friendship Evangelism. And I kind of liked it. Because it said, before Jesus started pounding anybody with the message, he reached out as a friend to them first. Before he gave the big long sermon, he fed them. 
before he told them who he was, he healed them. And, and the point was, if you have a relationship with someone, the message comes much easier. And I want to tell you what I've seen so far in my life. In the last month, in just the last month, I've had at least two and a half people, depending on how you draw the line, say to me, I'd really like to know why you smile when anybody else I know where you are right now would not be smiling. I'd really like to know why you seem at peace when I can't get there. That's the good time to be able to share the gospel. We need to be ready for that. We need to live a life that shows it so that people, Keith Green has a song, people stop and say to me, what is it that makes me want to be like you? And Keith Green's answer is not, well, I got the looks, or I got the money, or I got the job, or I got the family, or I got the power, or I got the honor, I got, he says, it's Jesus. Without him, you wouldn't want to be around me at all. Let me tell you how many worries I used to have before I figured out I could give them to him. Let me tell you how when I turn my eyes from him, I'm a different person than you see right now. Why do you have hope in the face of despair? You respond not only with the tone of your life, but you respond with the content of the message. You respond by living a life of peace and joy and confidence in our Lord and Savior. But you also be prepared with that substance. And, and, and there's a passage here uh, um, where... Well, let me keep going because I'm going to run out of time. You can read your hand out. There's a, uh, uh, an interesting passage that Peter makes here. He says, while we're aliens in this sinful world, think about Noah. Water set Noah apart. And in the same way, baptism saves you. Now, water did not save Noah's soul. In fact, the water is what condemned everybody else. But the water set the ark afloat, didn't it? And so while everyone condemned is on the world, the water lifts Noah up above and he is saved, right? In the same way baptism, Peter says, is something that sets us apart. Baptism, and in that sense he's talking about your Christian walk, coming to Christ. You've got to remember in the New Testament time there was never an issue of, gee, do you have to be baptized to be a Christian? Because... It was a commandment of Jesus and a commandment of the apostles and everyone was baptized. If you came to faith, you were baptized. That's the way it was. And so Peter's very able to say, don't you see the water in the same way sets you apart from the rest of the world. There's a reason we're different. We've been saved. There's a reason we can smile in the face of despair. We have eternity to look forward to. So when the big question comes, why do you have hope in the face of despair? We have an answer. And because we have an answer, Peter says, you tell them, but you don't just tell them, you show them. You don't just say, hey, Jesus loves you, now get your butt back to work. I don't want to see you in more downtime from you. Okay? You don't do that. 
That might be an offensive word. I'm sorry, where I grew up it wasn't. If I offended somebody, I don't mean to. I'll be more careful. But, you, just, you know, that's just the way it is. And you don't do that. You don't just tell someone. You show them as well. So, Peter says you love people deeply, whether they've sinned or not. Whether they've sinned against you or not, you care for them. Not only that, you have hospitality without grumbling. It's not, okay, i got to be hospitable. i got that connection group thing, going to have to smile. Well, I may have to smile, but I don't have to like it. The only reason I'm going is to keep peace at home. My wife is a beast if I don't. And I will let her know as I smile on the outside. He says, no, 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 no. Hospitality. Someone needs something, you help them out. You invite them into your home. I'd urge you right now, make a decision. Just make a decision. And this has got to be a couple's decision if you're a couple. If you're a single person, it's easier, okay? You don't have to, like, worry about whether the guy next to you is making the decision with you or is going to get upset because you made it because I stood up here and said, make one. Find somebody and do something hospitable. Ask them to lunch. Have them over for dinner. Do something. Connect with them. That's part of this. Um, use your gifts for the common good. What talents do you have? Put them to work. Put them to work for the church. Um, Peter ends his last section is counsel for the saved as applied to suffering. He says, first of all, don't think it's strange when you suffer. We can go through this quickly. He says, we are post-judgment. See, judgment starts with the house of God. We've already had our judgment. Our judgment happened on the cross. We're post-judgment. We're saved. You want to know how the judgment ends with me? I'm saved. My name's already written in the Lamb's Book of Life. On judgment day, I've already passed the test because I have the Lord. My name's already written in the book. The war, so judgment starts with the house of God, but the world hadn't been judged yet. And so we're post-judgment, but we're living in a pre-judgment world. So don't think it's strange when you suffer because this isn't where you belong. He says, now, young men, get your nose out of the air. You live in humility. Okay? Humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord and let Him lift you up. Don't lift up your own nose. Young men live in humility. Be self-controlled and alert because Satan is alive and well. And he prowls like a hungry lion seeking those whom he might devour. See, that's why if you know this stuff, you're not surprised at suffering. That's why if you know this stuff, you're not surprised that the world stinks sometimes, that it's been a bad week. You're not surprised that you get in bad situations with church or family or friends or work or whatever it may be. But the Christian knows the answer. It's live pure. You just do right and let God take care of the rest. Points for home. There is substance behind our faith. I got to tell you, I don't just believe in Jesus because it's a convenient way to live. I, I believe this. I, I'm, I'm confident this is true. I really believe God came to earth in Jesus and died for me, for my sins, and I believe I'll live eternally with him. I do believe that. I believe it. And that substance behind what I believe changes the way I live. I, 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 it does. How could it not? It changes the way I handle life. If I am struck down right here dead in front of you, praise God, I'm going home. 
then the next time I talk, I won't be saying, this is not my home, we're aliens. I'll be saying, hallelujah, thine the glory, because I'm home. And that substance will hold us up against the enemy who stalks about trying to destroy who we are and what we have. Would you pray with me? Our Father in God, I feel so inadequate to ever even begin to express the truth of your word. And Lord, I don't always choose the right words and I don't always do it the right way. But with all of my heart, it is my prayer that in spite of that, you will reach down and touch everyone in here today with your word, with Jesus Christ, with the truth that is our faith with the hope that is our faith, with the confidence that is our faith, with the life-changing transformation power, with the purity that is our faith in you through Jesus. Amen.